catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. It's my job as headmistress to protect all of the children. People say, but what about their right to pray? But what about their right not to pray? What about their right to eat during Ramadan? You know, divides that they often make where which group are you in? Are you in the LGBT group? Are you in the Black Caribbean group? Are you in the Indian Hindu group, etc.? There's none of that here. Everyone is allowed to be who they want to be as long as the things that they're asking for will not upset the balance of the whole. I think that it is possible to make a success of multiculturalism and we definitely make a success of it here at Michaela. Hello, welcome back to the Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my special guest this week, Catherine Burblesing. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back on. Every time we have you on, we have a very lively discussion about the state of education, the state of uh, how children are viewed and treated by society. And I think lots of those issues have really come to the fore in relation to you and your excellent school, the Michaela School in Wembley, which I've had the privilege of visiting because of a case that is taking place and it's made huge waves in the media. Lots of people are talking about it, where a Muslim pupil is taking your school to court because you've enforced a prayer ban which prevents uh, Muslim kids from getting together and praying in the Muslim fashion. So there's a lot to talk about, the case itself, uh, your response to it and the media response to it as well. But I wonder if we could kick off with you just outlining probably for the hundredth time, I know you've been doing lots of discussions on this, what the case entails and why you thought it was important to take a stand in the way that you did. Well, I don't think I'm, I'm taking a stand necessarily. Um, I'm just doing what I've always done, which I, I fought for our survival, really, as a school. We've been attacked many times in different ways where people have tried to stop us from its inception. I started thinking about sitting at the school in 2011 and really for the last... 12 years, 13 years, we've always been under attack. So I've always just been fighting to keep us going. And um, our decision on the prayer rituals was taken because we recognized that our school would no longer be our school if we were to change that. So yeah, it, it's not me taking a stand. In fact, we very much wanted to stay out of the media. And there was a media ban on this, which is why no one had read about it until quite recently. But until the judge, in fact, uh, lifted the media ban, much to my disappointment, because, um, you know, I, I was in court kind of hoping that he would keep it. And I was hoping because I, you know, I, it does put me in, in danger and, and puts the whole school in danger. So ultimately, I, I think people find the case interesting because I suppose the idea is this sort of religious freedom uh, and then the freedom of the school to do what's necessary to run the school. You know, I believe very much in the power of a head teacher to be able to do what's right for their community and what's right for their ethos and what, you know, for their building. I mean, our ethos and our, our physical building play important roles in the decisions that were made here at the school. And I'm not sure it's right for people on the outside to tell uh, a head teacher how to run their school. I certainly wouldn't dare tell other head teachers how to run their schools. 
I don't know their intakes. I don't know, I don't know anything about their school. I might give advice. I might say, oh, this is something that works for us. It'd be great for you to try it out but I certainly wouldn't compel them. So we're just trying to defend ourselves against something that we see as existential. You know, it, it will uh, it will destroy what we've got. Absolutely. I want to talk about what you've got and um, the fact that you think this is an existential question, and I, I really agree with that. When I read about this case, when I first read about it, I was really interested in it because I went to a school not far from the Michaela School in another part of northwest London where we did pray all the time before lessons, uh, in chapel and so on. But that's because I went to a Roman Catholic school. So it was integral to the nature of the school that there was a very strong religious component and all the parents understood that and all the pupils understood that. And of course, the teachers understood it too. There was a shared agreement that this would be the nature of our school. But your school, of course, is different, isn't it? And, and that's one of the reasons you're pushing back against this case and against some of the media onslaught against you which is that you are not a religious school. You are not a school that caters to any particular religious belief or any particular ethnic group or social group. You're a school that strives to be secular and equal. So was that a key part of why you decided you needed to take up this case? Yes. Well, the thing is, is that we allow some religious differences as long as they don't upset the balance uh, of the whole. And so there are Muslim girls who wear hijabs. There are Sikhs who wear bangles. There are, you know, a, a variety of, of difference that don't upset the whole. The difficulty is we allowed prayer to happen in the odd, you know. So when people say, well, we obviously hate prayer. Well, clearly we don't because we wouldn't have allowed it in the first place. And it's just that for eight years, nobody did pray. So it just wasn't an issue. Uh, and then when they did pray, this was last year, this time, I suppose, coming up to Ramadan, was in Ramadan. And then a, a few children prayed and then a few more and a few more and it started growing and growing. And we didn't have an issue with that. You know, the, the children were allowed to, so it was fine. But uh, we then saw how things changed. Um, and this was outside in the yard because we'd always allowed prayer in the yard. And things really changed inside the school and on the outside of the school. So on the inside of the school, you know, we have Muslim children who uh, during Ramadan fast and, and again, something that we allow that religious freedom because it doesn't upset the whole. Uh, but what we found was when prayer rituals were happening, some of those more observant m Muslims would stand by the break hall uh, table with food and intimidate the ones who wanted, the Muslims who wanted to eat and stop them from eating. One girl, Muslim girl, dropped out of the choir uh, because it's Haram. You know, one girl started wearing a hijab when she hadn't worn one before. It, it's already sort of hard enough to encourage them to do music, for instance. That's something that we, you know, that, that can be a bit of a struggle, but we manage it. The thing is, is that when people say, but what about their right to pray? But what about their right not to pray? What about their right to eat during Ramadan? You know, it's my job as headmistress to protect all of the children and to take care of the whole. So uh, we are known for singing God Save the King, uh, I Vow to Thee My Country, you know, the, the children stand for me at assembly and people will say, oh, they do, you know, she's just full of herself. It really isn't that. It's because we are a very traditional school. We, we're very strict. We're considered the strictest school in Britain. 
Um, if you type into Google, who is the strictest head teacher? No, who is the strictest teacher in the world? My name will come up. There are things that are very odd about us. And I, and I get that. And so we make sure that we run through with families before they join all the various things that they might not like about us because, um, you know, we have silent corridors. Uh, you'll get a detention if you turn around in your lesson. Um, you mustn't fiddle with your pens. Uh, we do a family lunch. They don't bring in outside food. Our family lunch actually is vegetarian. And why is it vegetarian? Well, because when we first opened, we offered meat and we had to divide the children according to who ate meat, but no pork, who ate meat, but no beef. You've got your Muslims, you've got your Hindus, various others. We, we placed them out and then we looked at the room and thought we've just divided everyone according to race and religion. And I said, I'm not doing that, not under my watch. And so we thought, you know what, we'll go vegetarian. And then that way we can just mix them up and everyone can be friends across those racial and religious divides. And I think that, you know, it's really interesting because multiculturalism is often talked about both on the left and the right. The right, some people on the right will say multiculturalism's failed, it's a disaster. Okay. And I think in some spaces that is true. And people on the left say, don't be silly, it's all wonderful, isn't it great? Diversity is our strength. And I think they're really just both wrong. <laughs> I think that it is possible to make a success of multiculturalism. And we definitely make a success of it here at Michaela. The children are very good friends across racial and religious divides, across sexualities and all kinds, you know, like divides that they often make where which group are you in? Are you in the LGBT group? Are you in the Black Caribbean group? Are you in the Indian Hindu group, etc.? There's none of that here. Everyone is, is, is just a child here. <laughs> and everyone is allowed to be who they want to be as long as the things that they're asking for will not upset the balance of the whole. So as I say, the culture changed when um, the praying started, but it wasn't just on the inside of the school. It was also on the outside. We started getting all kinds of threats, death threats, horrible racism. One of my teachers, I mean, referenced to a monkey, me too, uh, you know, the N word, the C word, I mean, you know, the B word, I don't know. It was just, it was horrifying. Both of us were terrified having to come in and out of school uh, with lifts from friends and so on. And it is most definitely the case that I am still terrified because the judge, what he ruled when he, he removed the ban was that the press were allowed to name the school and they were allowed to name me, but they were not allowed to name the family rightly and they were not allowed to name the teachers rightly. But unfortunately, you know, I, I had to be sacrificed in this. And look, I sort of understand in that, you know, once you name the school, it, it definitely names me. So, and having seen the public interest in it, I sort of get why the judge said yes, because obviously there is a lot of public interest. Um, all of this happened, I presume, because people saw us from the gate. There were people who, who, who rang up the school. I mean, we got tons of phone calls and we got same thing this time, horrible phone calls that were coming through, threatening, some of them threatening, some of them just being abusive. So when I'm going to, to and from school at the moment, you know, I'm looking behind my back. I'm watching, I'm careful, you know, because it, it is worrying. The whole school changed. The governors took the decision to ban prayer rituals. And it's important to say rituals because anyone can pray anytime they like in their own heads. It's the ritual that was banned. And, um, you know, amazingly, the school just instantly went back to the way that it was. Even now, with everything that's been going on um, outside, all the media uh, news coverage and so on, Every day has been a normal day at Michaela and it's been lovely and the children are joyful and everything is just wonderful. And we even had a, a year 11 parents evening the other week. This was on the day that my face was the cover of the evening standard. And some of the parents were even carrying the newspaper with them. And they came into the hall and there were hundreds of people in there. 
you know, we've got Muslims, we've got Hindus, we've got Sikhs, we've got Jehovah Witnesses, we've got everybody there. Not one family said a word about any of this. We were just talking about GCSE preparation, working hard, getting those grades, doing what we do best. And nobody stood up and shouted at me or got angry at me or anything, you know? The thing is, that's why I say the multiculturalism that we've got here works so well, not just with the children, but with the parents, you know? Now, the fact is that the vast majority, obviously, of our Muslim families, they're happy with what the situation is. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't prefer a prayer room. I think they would. I know they would. They say so, you know? But they also recognize, like all of our different faiths recognize, that we need to sacrifice in order to make sure we can all get on with each other. And so the Jehovah Witnesses would prefer for us not to have Macbeth as a set text at GCSE because of the witches. But they accept it. And it's also the case that I've had a Christian family complain about uh, Sundays. We do our, um, our revision sessions on uh, Sundays for GCSE. They don't like that, but they put up with it. You know, the thing is, I have Hindu families who have complained about the plates in the hall, the dining hall, that they've touched the eggs. They don't like that. And they want different plates, but that would mean separating the Hindus. And I'm not willing to do that. So the, the case is over whether or not we should have a prayer room, you know, not prayer in the yard, but prayer room in the, in the school. And uh, before families start with us, one of the many things I go through is the fact that we do not have a prayer room. And I tell them this and I explain why. Uh, because of our strict rules and because we walk in silence in the corridor in single file and because we have this family lunch where the teachers are all manning this lunch, we cannot have, well, first of all, one prayer room wouldn't be enough. Uh, we'd need several because there are 350 Muslims here. So we don't even physically have the space for several prayer rooms. Furniture would have to be moved. We're the strictest school in Britain. Children don't move furniture, you know? Um, the children also don't wander around the corridors freely. You know, they're always in single file, in silence, with the teachers manning the corridors, morning, morning, afternoon, afternoon, sir, and so on. So all of that would have to disappear. We'd have to get rid of our family lunch. We'd have to get rid of our silent corridors. We wouldn't be able to put the bags in the classrooms and the coats. And so all of the system of where we keep, the kids would have to be wearing these everywhere. They'd look like a real mess. One of the things I'm very proud of is how they're, they're so smart in their uniforms with their badges and so on. It would essentially turn us into a normal school. And I don't have a problem with normal schools. There are normal schools all around here and everywhere in the, in the country with prayer rooms. And that's fine. I'm not saying that other schools shouldn't have a prayer room. I'm saying that our schools should not be destroyed in order to provide a set of prayer rooms. Because the problem is people imagine that it's possible to have Michaela the way it is and have prayer rooms. It's not. It's not because of the physical building. And it's also not because of our ethos. I am not willing to dismiss all of the Muslim children upstairs to, to go and pray and all of the non-Muslim children downstairs to go and play. That I'm not willing to separate them according to race and religion. And I wouldn't do that when it came to the vegetarianism, for instance. I'm just not going to do that. It's against everything I believe in. I believe that our multicultural community here is extremely successful because we actively engage with multiculturalism. I think, and in a way, it's sort of telling you off, Brendan, because you being the libertarian that you are, <laughs> I don't like, you know, you and I have gone to battle before over libertarian ideas, you know, that QT's film and so on. 
that, and we've gone to battle because you believe in this idea of just everybody be free and people just do whatever they want. And I think that when we're trying to run a country and certainly when we're trying to run a school, we have to do more than that. Our teachers in our school actively engage in creating a multicultural environment that is successful. And I think if we were to just leave it and let it go free, we would not have the success we have both culturally and socially, because whenever people come to visit and we get 800 visitors a year um, and we get 800 visitors a year from all over the world because we are an extraordinary school and we're doing extraordinary things. It's not just the results. They come and they say, your children are so motivated. They're so resilient. They're so nice. They're so friendly. They're so happy and so on. And I would argue that the big part of that is because of what we're doing all the time culturally in helping to socialize them in a particular kind of way. We don't just say, you're free, go to it. So people often say, well, it's their lunch hour. It's their free time. Well, no, not here. It isn't. And their lunchtime here, you'll see the teachers out there. Somebody's being bullied. We're bringing them back into the fold. Someone's left out. We're always watching and making sure that things are happening in a particular kind of way and that the children are behaving in a particular kind of way. Now, some people don't like that. Some people say, oh, it's too much of a control situation. And I say, well, you don't have to send your children here. Um, and I, I take the same position on the prayer issue, which is that, you know, we have grown our Muslim families from about 30% when we first opened in 2014 to now 50% of the population. So they clearly really like it, right? And, and they've really liked it without prayer. <laughs> so when outsiders then say, this is what they should have, and I think, well, they've been coming here in greater numbers <laughs> uh, despite this. And that's because they're willing to make that sacrifice. I recognize that it's a sacrifice, just like I recognize it's a sacrifice for the Jehovah Witnesses. And I also think it's quite interesting that nobody's arguing for the Jehovah Witnesses. Nobody's saying we should ban Macbeth across the building and across the whole country. Nobody's saying never put on a performance of Macbeth in at the Globe. You know, so because we recognize that people have choice. You don't have to go to the Globe to see Macbeth. You don't have to come to our school. You can go to another school if that's what you want. And no doubt there are Jehovah Witnesses who think, you know what, we'd love to go to Michaela, but the Macbeth thing is something we just can't abide, and therefore we're going to go to another school. And that is their prerogative. It's the same thing with the Muslim children, you know? That is why we're saying no. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hi, it's Brendan here. I just wanted to remind you that you can still buy my book. It's called A Heretic's Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. And I've really been blown away by the response to it from readers, reviewers, Spike supporters. People really like this book. And I think you're going to like it too. It covers all the insanities of our time from climate change hysteria through to COVID authoritarianism, through to the trans ideology and it basically makes the case for more freedom of speech, more debate, and more heretical thinking to challenge the conformism of our times. So what are you waiting for? Go to Amazon right now and order my book, A Heretic's Manifesto, Essays on the Unsayable. And now, on with the show. Yeah, I think um, I, I would say that even though I'm a firm believer in freedom, I don't 
apply that to schools. And in fact, I think very often these days, and this is something you and I have spoken about, is that often these days the crisis of discipline in in the modern British school gets dressed up as a form of liberty. So you will often hear teachers saying, well, we don't want to impose rules on kids. We want them to be free and to run around. And that's a kind of institutional cowardice that gets dressed up as a defence of freedom. Whereas, in fact, kids in schools, they need rules, they need discipline. The school I went to had very strict rules on uniform, behaviour, respect for teachers. And that's one of the things I admired about your school. I mean, the thing that really blew me away about Michaela, and you mentioned it there a couple of times, was the silent corridors. Uh, Incredible that a school could have kids walking so silently uh, from one room to another. You wouldn't see that in the normal school. But I wanted to ask you on that question you said there about uh, you've gone from 30% uh, Muslim kids at your school to 50%, huge number. And those kids are clearly doing very well in your school. And as you say, the families are clearly, the vast majority of the families are clearly very happy with your school, despite the lack of a prayer room. I think that's really important because I did want to ask you if you think there is, in different schools around the country, there is now a growing Islamist Threat. Now, I don't mean a Muslim threat, because your school is very good proof that Muslim kids who are bright and aspirational and taken seriously by their teachers do very well. But kind of politicised Islam, which sees its role as undermining the integrity of schools or imposing its own values on schools. So, for example, we've had this recent scandal over your school where lots of outside actors have got involved and said, well, you're being Islamophobic. Uh, There was the Batley Grammar School controversy where a teacher was hounded into hiding for showing his kids uh, images of uh, Muhammad during a discussion on freedom of speech. Uh, There's the latest controversy over a primary school in Leighton in East London, which is in getting death threats. The teachers are getting death threats because they wouldn't put up a Palestine flag and so on. Um, Do you think one of the problems we face today is that there is this growing Islamist cockiness, where they're essentially saying, well, you have to, every institution has to kowtow to what we think is the right way of doing things. And if you don't, you're phobic, you're bigoted. Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not in those schools, so it's hard to say. Um, I do think that if a country doesn't really know what it believes, if a school doesn't really know what it believes, I think one of the reasons why our school is so bizarre to people is that we really believe in something. Um, we have a certain set of values that mean something to us. It's almost religious, you know, like, the, you know, we, we don't budge from it. It's really, really important. That's why I say it's an existential threat, this situation, because we would no longer be who we are. And because we don't get protected by this idea of it's our religion, <laughs> um, our secularism, our belief in sacrifice for the betterment of the whole, um, and our other small C conservative values like personal responsibility, a sense of duty towards others, um, being British together, whatever color we are, whatever religion we are, that's something that we share and we should celebrate what we have in common rather than this idea of uh, constantly pushing the idea of diversity and discord. That's what's really important to us. What annoys me is that for some people that doesn't matter because it doesn't fall under the umbrella of my religion therefore to hell with you, we're going to run roughshod over it. And partly I think that's because the country doesn't really have an understanding of what it believes. And so people can get used to, if it's not an official religion, <laughs> therefore we can push it around. It doesn't, it doesn't mean as much. 
And I don't think that's right because what we are as a school is, is everything to us, you know? Um, and it's part of the reason why we're so successful. You know, if we changed, well, not only would our children not be the sorts of children that they are socially and culturally and so on, but they wouldn't get the GCSE results again. I mean, that is an absolute, there's no question, right? So you can't have it always. Yeah, I mean, I find that the, um, that the right often say, well, the problem is this, the problem is that. And I mean, look, I get it. I get why they're saying what they're saying. But we do also have to look at the heart of the country. What is the heart of the country? What's our soul? What do we believe? What, what are we giving people to believe in? You know, I think one of the reasons why our school is such a wonderful place to be in is because we believe in something, right? And we all do. The children do. The teachers do. You know, the kitchen staff do. Everybody does, you know? And it's like when the England football team go out to play. They're all wearing the same shirt. They all know the same moves. They all know, they, they know each other. They belong to something, you know? That's what makes them strong. And any team that doesn't wear the same shirt, it's one of the reasons why we need our coats and bags in the rooms. You know, when I say we'd have to move our coats and bags, they'd have to carry it around with them. This is an outrage for me. And the reason why it's an outrage is because the children would have to cover up the uniform that gives them the uniformity and the belonging to the Michaela family, right? And allows certain ones to stand out with their badges. And it allows the others to look and say, I want a badge and I want to be the, the school, you know, the form representative of X, Y, and Z. You know, it is integral to who we are. The thing that's so disappointing is that, you know, in, in, in 2011, when I came up with this idea of the school and we then went, we had to work three and a half years to set it up um, because there were so many detractors trying to stop us, people protesting outside calling me all kinds of names. I had racist emails yet again, just horrible stuff. And then we finally got open. And again, there were still people protesting outside. And then eventually we had our Ofsted and it said we were outstanding. Then in 2019, we got these extraordinary GCSE results. The last two years, we've had the top progress eight, two years running in the whole country, meaning out of 4,000 secondary schools, we're top, right? Now, I thought when I was setting up our school, look, we're going to show them what's possible. And then everyone's going to come and they're going to copy us and we'll have impact everywhere. And you know, some people have, and, and a lot of our ideas have spread, which is exciting. But why do people continue to want to pull us down? I just, I, I just don't understand it. They make up all sorts of things about me when I'm in school every morning at 6.45, right? Working for all of our children, including our Muslim children, to do really well. All of us at our school work really hard to achieve that. And it shouldn't be this hard, Brendan. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this hard for me to run an excellent school. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is extraordinary, the flack that you get from the left in particular and, and supposed liberals who, will, uh, who are supposed to be interested in the fortunes of the working classes and deprived kids. And when I think about what Michaela School does for kids from northwest London and its surrounds who are from working class backgrounds or deprived backgrounds, bringing them into a school that has that real ethos and standards of a private school, but they don't have to pay for it. And yet you still get all this jip and all these attacks from sections of the left. It is extraordinary. We get the most attacks. We are most hated every August. You know why? Because that's when our results come out. And I just think, even if you don't like what we do, why are you unable to say, clearly they're doing something right? And when I explain to you, what it is that it requires to get this, 
then why are you fighting me on it? Because I'm telling you, like, because you're convinced what? That I'm doing it for some other reason? Well, we had prayer in the yard to begin with, so obviously we don't have a problem with prayer. My own grandmother was Muslim. Like, it's just ridiculous. I'm explaining the truth of the situation, which is that if we want Michaela to exist as it is, we cannot have a set of prayer rooms. It's it's interesting what you said earlier about um, multiculturalism. And I did want to ask you about that because it seems to me that at the moment we have these two different approaches to the issue of a multi-ethnic society. So you, on one side you have the left who will say celebrate diversity for its own sake. And the fact that we are different is wonderful and we should really talk about those differences and focus on those differences. And that can be a very divisive ideology. And I know Michaela doesn't want to go down that road. And then on sections of the right, you have uh, the opposite, but it's equally problematic, which is that we can't have a diverse society. There are too many differences, too many clashes of religious values or social values, and we just can't get along and stop all immigration, kick people out. I mean, those are the extremes, but it, it is there. So you have these two different approaches, one which says diversity is the best thing since sliced bread, and the other which says that diversity is just a non-starter and it doesn't work. And what I have always admired about Michaela is that I think you actually get the balance of these things right. And it really came through in the statement that you made to the court in this recent case where you said what you want is kids from all kinds of races, all kinds of religious backgrounds, to be able to come together and enjoin in something bigger than themselves. And in this case, it might be country, or it might be education, it might be the community of Michaela itself. But it's something that actually, it allows for diversity, because you have an incredibly diverse student intake, but it raises kids above that diversity and gives them a stake in something that is much bigger. So that's a key part of what you do, isn't it? It's absolutely central, you know, absolutely central. And if we weren't able to do that anymore, we would not be our school. Michaela would not, would not exist. It would be a different school. It would be more of a normal school. And there's nothing wrong with normal schools. That's fine. It just wouldn't be our school. And that would be a great, great shame because um, it took us three and a half years to open. <laughs> it's taken us many years to establish ourselves. Two offsteads that we've had, which have been outstanding. The um, amazing Progress 8 that we've had. like. You know, we've had to prove ourselves over, as I say, 12 to 13 years, this project has been going and I've stuck with it. You know, there are lots of head teachers who would spend three or four years in a school and then they move on to something else. You know, I've been here all that time, every day in school at 6.45 a.m. Um, but as I say, it really shouldn't be that hard. It's exhausting. It's exhausting fighting like this for year after year after year. You know, I, I kind of thought that at some point they'd give up. I did want to ask you about those levels of animosity because I was thinking about your case uh, as I was preparing for this uh, chat and I thought to myself, it's kind of understandable that a Muslim kid would do what this Muslim kid did. I mean, you know, kids play up. They want to be able to do what they want to do and they want to be able to have their own rights and so on. Uh, I don't, we don't know who this kid is, so I don't want to cast aspersions or make judgments or anything like that. But kids do sometimes say, I want this, I want that it's in their nature when, when we're young to do things like that. And I can almost understand certain families saying, well, we want the right for our kids to be able to engage in ritual prayer. I mean, that's an interest that some families have. Fine. But when we look beyond that specifically to the animosity that you get from sections of the commentariat and from the education blob who've had it in for you for a long time, and even from sections of the Labour Party, um, who I have no doubt look upon you as this, you know, 1930s style headmistress, unforgiving, 
cold. Uh, you know, this is the uh, prejudiced view that people have of you. And you can, I can tell whenever I hear these people that they have never visited your school, which is a very warm school, a very warm environment, and also one, yeah, also one that happens to have very high expectations of the kids. What do you, ex- how do you explain that animosity? Why do they have it in for Michaela to such an extraordinary extent? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. I remember when Toby Young was setting up his school, he had knowledge as central to his classrooms. That was the idea that he was setting up with. And discipline was, you know, something that he believed in and so on. I mean, I don't think they've gone on to be the strictest school in Britain. But when he was setting up, we were setting up at a similar time. Toby Young didn't get anywhere near the hatred that I got. Nothing like that. People didn't protest outside his school. People didn't protest in his... um parent events, trying to get people interested to come to his school. I had people shouting at me all the time. I had to hire bouncers to protect us. They would bus people in from outside of London. At this point, we were in Brixton trying to open up our school there. I would, I gave out all these flyers in Brixton Market to all these black mums. And they came along and they were sitting in this garden pub because uh, one of my steering group, he had this pub in Camberwell. And they came along and... Um, And all of these people, all these white people outside of London had been bussed in to stand outside with their posters, shouting abuse at me. And we we would have to go through the picket lines, as it were. And then when we would try and talk to these mums, these people had come into the garden and sat amongst the mums. And then when we would try and speak, they would shout at us to drown out what we were saying so the mums couldn't hear us. Now, the thing is, these are people who say that they want a diverse society to succeed. These are people who say that they want social mobility for the poor and for ethnic minorities and so on. These are people who say that we need to empower those in the inner cities and that the schools need to, you know, to do well. Here we are giving another choice of school (laughs) to um, these mums, the very people who they say they want to help, and yet they were preventing them, these mums, from hearing from me about a possible new choice of school for their children. And that, I'm afraid, has been our experience over many, many years. And and I do slightly despair sometimes because I just think it doesn't mean anything if all you're doing is saying you care about these people, you care about social mobility, you care about being kind and good, when in fact your actions demonstrate otherwise, right? <laughs> what you do matters. And all these people who accuse me all the time, I just think I'm in school every day at 6.45 a.m. What are you doing, right? <laughs> I'm changing the lives of these kids in the the inner city. What are you doing? You're on some keyboard attacking me. Well, I'm doing the work and I've been doing it for 25 years, right? Only ever in the inner city, only ever with kids from normal backgrounds, from deprived backgrounds in the inner city, changing their lives for the better. And I really do an amazing job at it, right? That's why we get top progress eight. And my teachers are so brilliant. They work so hard. They give so much. You can imagine how exhausted they are by by this insanity you know it does make me very upset because when people give their lives to a profession and to a cause in trying to do good it's really dispiriting when you're being attacked for it regularly so do you think there's an element where they see you as a threat because you call into question their new vision of what education should do so there is this. There is a great deal of paternalism, I find, in state education these days, in, in what you refer to as, as normal schools. Um, 
there's this strange combination of just letting kids run riot. You couldn't possibly tell them off or give them detention or, or exercise discipline over their behavior. But at the same time, there's this very paternalistic attitude where there is this belief amongst sections of the educational elite that, you know, well, black kids can't really read Shakespeare. They won't be able to relate to it. It's not for them. Or, you know, kids from an Asian heritage are not going to understand the literature of dead white European males. They won't connect with it. So there is this uh, paternalistic idea that we need to protect ethnic minority children from some of the gains of Western civilization because it's too oppressive to lay it on them. It's too judgmental. It's too, it's asking too much of them to engage with this stuff. So I think one of the reasons they feel hostile to you is that you completely call that into question. Your school is, is a, an advertisement for the fact that it is entirely possible to have high expectations of kids from ethnic minority backgrounds and to get the best out of them educationally. So do you think that's part of the hostility that they feel? Yes, but I also think it has to do with my own brown skin. So what I mean by that is if my school were failing and not doing so well, they would be bigging me up in all kinds of ways. It's the same in America. You look at Ibram X. Kendi, who was a very mediocre professor with a completely different name. And then he changed his name to Ibram X. Kendi and has his dreadlocks. And they, they like that. He's, he's no brain, but the amazing uh, black professors like John McWhorter or Glenn Lowry, nobody knows who they are. And they have to build their own little podcast. The media massively promote Ibram X. Kendi, um, who is really very mediocre. I think there's something dystopian about that, that um, the black people that are pushed forward as kind of heroes are, are the ones who aren't really actually doing anything that interesting or that good. I mean, you've sort of brought up the idea of white guilt that comes into that. So what you were saying about the Shakespeare and so on, they feel bad. They don't want the black kid to learn the Shakespeare because, well, who were they? Who am I as a white woman to make a black boy read Shakespeare? How can he possibly identify with Shakespeare because he's black when in fact, who can, uh, who understands Shakespeare? Nobody. I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are, right? Um, it, it, it takes a really amazing teacher to give you access to Shakespeare, uh, whatever color you are, whatever religion you are. Um, but because too many of the white population feel guilty about their privilege and their white skin and so on, they then act in ways that I, I just find quite disturbing. And, you know, it's interesting because these are the very people who will say, there's racism, there's racism. And I think, well, f physician, heal thyself is what I want to say. If you're a regular listener to this show or a regular reader of Spiked, why not become a Spiked supporter? Spiked supporters is our thriving community of people who donate to Spiked. Anyone who gives £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year can become a Spiked supporter and get access to lots of exciting perks. Spiked supporters can comment on articles, get free and discounted tickets to events, get a discount on all items in our shop and bookmark articles as you browse. This is our way of saying thank you to all of you who fund our work. Spiked is completely free and yet you still hand over your hard-earned cash to make sure that anyone, anywhere can read us and listen to us. We're incredibly grateful for your generosity. If you don't give to Spiked yet, now is the perfect time to start. Just go to spiked-online.com slash supporters to set up your donation and your Spike supporters account. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters. What do you make of, I mean, there have been discussions recently, and I think you and I have talked about this before, about um, 
introducing more relevant material to the school curriculum. And, you know, you often will hear people saying, well, why don't we let kids talk about Stormzy in school? I mean, that's an extreme example, but you do hear it. You know, let kids engage in that kind of culture. Um, You know, there is this, I think that across the board, there is this drip by drip attempt to say that, well, kids from working class backgrounds, especially if they have non-white skin, especially if they're black or if they're Asian and so on, um, we can't expect them to engage with our culture. Um, We have to encourage them to tell us about their culture. And that speaks to that kind of divisiveness that you're talking about, doesn't it? Because, you know, the idea that there is a, a black culture and a white culture and an Asian culture and that you should stay in your racial lane, that's essentially what people are saying. And what you want to say and what Michaela does say is that, look, we don't care what colour your skin is. We don't care what um, religious or ethnic or national background you originally come from. We care about whether you're able to engage in this educational community. And that idea has been lost, hasn't it, in, in British education more broadly? Totally. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a fan of Ofsted, but that is our inspectorate. The inspectorate does not look at multiculturalism. You know, is there social cohesion? They don't have any way of even make, making a judgment on that. You know, I've always been the person who's the first person to say when people talk about our results, it's not just about results. The thing I'm most proud of is who our children are. And part of that are the citizens that they become and how they're able to be friends across racial and religious divides and so on and so forth. Um, but we don't really care about that sort of thing. And I think that's partly because, as we said, the blindness of both the left and the right. The right just say to hell with multiculturalism, it doesn't work. The left say diversity is our strength. And nobody's actually looking at reality and at the truth. And it doesn't mean multiculturalism can't work, but it does require people to integrate into something, right? And it requires all of us to make sacrifices, you know? And I think we do that really well here at Michaela. And I would hope that people would support that because. Well, it's lovely. Come and visit us. You know, I'd say to all your viewers, just get on the website, sign up for lunch. The kids will take you on a tour. You'll be able to have lunch with them. You'll see how happy they are. You'll say, see what a lovely, lovely place it is to be. And I very much hope that we're allowed to keep it. Uh, it is an extraordinary place to visit. And especially the lunch. I was blown away by the lunch and the um, kids standing up to make recitals and to say things. And it, it really is a special school. Um, I did just want to ask you a couple more questions. I, I wanted to ask you about um, the idea of country and flag and why you think that's important. Because you, you will know that the thing that makes most people say, oh God, this Catherine Burblesing woman, she must be mad, is the singing of the national anthem, God Save the King. I can't think of any school that does that. I'm sure some you know, very expensive private schools probably still do it. Um, the ones that are attended by members of the extended royal family but outside of that, it's hard to think of any that does it. Your school does it. You will know from your own experience, it's the thing that makes people's eyes roll. They they treat it as the most ridiculous thing that a school could ever do. I've always thought it was an incredibly good idea because it does actually instill a sense of patriotism and in a sense that you as an individual kid, and by extension, your family, belong to a country. You belong to a nation, which is an important idea. I, I wanted to ask you, what, what is the kid's reaction when that first happens? Are they shocked by it? Are they taken aback? And how quickly do they get into it as an idea that it's it's a good thing to sing the national anthem at school? Well, we've always done it. So all of the kids, they know that's what we do. They're not surprised by it. And they do it at my assemblies. And then I walk in and they stand for me. And it's just 
you know, it's just the thing that we do. And we are very much British. We don't just do that. We also teach them British history, right? We teach them British geography. There's very much a sense of place of where they belong, what their country is, what, you know, where are the hills? Where are the rivers? You know, uh, what is our history during Tudor times and during the 20th century? And with, there are black people and brown people that appear in that history, of course. But the fact is that uh, it is British history. So they don't just feel British because they sing God Save the King. They don't just feel British because there's a British flag flying outside. They feel British because they know their home. Right? They know their history. They know their geography. They know where they belong. You know, if we are going to um, succeed as a multicultural country, all of our children, whatever race and religion they are, need to feel like that. If they feel that the establishment is white and the establishment is who we have to fight against and so on, then we're going to spin out of control. You know, and where people don't understand, nobody understands the importance of schools. I'm always trying to talk about it. People know they, they worry about universities. Well, where do you think the kids are coming from when they go to the university? They've been to school, right? And schools are what create your future adults, right? And schools influence the kinds of people they are going to be massively. Education is everything. It's everything to social mobility for an individual child. It's everything to a community that's trying to move itself forward. Education is everything to a country because it helps to socialize your children in a particular kind of way so that we can all get on with each other, so that we can love our country. And that doesn't mean I don't have my problems with Britain. Of course we all do, right? I have a big problem with the education system, right? That's all I ever talk about. But it doesn't mean that I don't love my country. The thing is, Britain's also just a wonderful country. It's just great. You know, why wouldn't people love it? I don't understand why, if you've done any traveling, if you've ever been around the world, it's bloody obvious that Britain is a brilliant place to live. Okay, Catherine, my final question for you. Um, with the recent scandal, the recent controversy, the recent court case, uh, which I think you've handled incredibly well, by the way, when I saw all that media fuss, I thought to myself, I bet at Michaela School things are just carrying on as normal. I just knew that within the building itself, there would be no impact. It would just go on as it did. So I'm pleased to hear that that was the case. Um, but one thing that more friendly, generous commentators have been saying that um, Catherine Burblesing is standing up for more than a good education for the kids in her school. She's standing up for what ought to be the values of a secular liberal nation like 21st century Britain. Uh, I think that's true. I do think you're making the case for a broader value system beyond the Michaela community itself. But I wanted to ask you, if if you feel that that is the case, does that feel like a bit of a burden to be someone who's not just trying to run a school when you're under attack from various elements, but also someone who is seen as embodying values that lots of people wish were more reflected in schools and institutions across the country? Well, you know, perhaps this will spark a conversation. Look, I am just a headmistress. I'm not the prime minister. I, I, I'm just trying to run a school. That's all I want to do is run a school. Now, if people come here and say, wow, these are really interesting ideas, we'd love to take them elsewhere, then please do. But I'm not telling anybody how to run the country. I'm not telling anybody how to run their school. I'm not saying prayer rooms can't be in other schools. I'm just trying to run my own school as best I can to keep our ethos, to keep our values, to keep what is very dear to us. And I'm very grateful to all those people who are supportive of us because, um, you know, it does mean a lot to us. It means a, a lot because these are difficult times, you know, it, it, it really is. It's lovely. People have even written to me, you know, at the school and it's so nice, you know, old ladies writing to me saying, you know, I mean, it, it's just lovely. So in that sense, 
yes, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased that, you know, uh, people want to kind of back us. But at the same time, I'm just a headmistress. I just want to go to school. Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com.